Hope you're all having a good day and um, ready for what God wants to lay before us this morning. And that song is just kind of a perfect intro to what we're going to be focusing on in our series in Joshua. And actually this morning in our series of Joshua, as we did last week, we're going to be kind of moving away from the book, but to deal with this question on what are some things as believers, as Christians today, what are some things we need to be preparing to be ready for the promise of God? Um, last summer, I've mentioned this, this a couple times, this event, because God's still using it in my life. You know, we ran into some car trouble on vacation, and, and Wednesday of the week we were on vacation, we decided we we're going to run in to do the souvenir shopping and find some good seafood to eat and just have a little family day away, just the four of us. And, of course, the car started acting up, and, and so we ended up spending the majority of that day in car repair shops, which was not what our kids wanted to do. Um, they wanted to be at the pool, they wanted to be at the beach, they wanted to be with their cousins, they wanted to be anywhere but sitting in a car repair waiting room, and, and I could agree with them. Uh, it wasn't the best of vacation days and the best time to be spent on vacation, but uh, one particular car repair place we were at, because we went to several, uh, we sat in their waiting room and they had a TV, so we turned the TV on and and it was hooked to some sort of uh, long-range satellite dish or something. So the channels weren't coming in all that great. So we had to find a channel to actually come in. You could see it. And we happened to come across this painter. Now, I grew up with Bob Ross. And so, yeah, all right, so good. We're all in agreement. Happy little trees. Happy little trees. You know, there are no such things as mistakes. And so I'm always signing off with a God bless and just rocking the fro, Bob Ross. And I, I, I like Bob Ross. I don't know, something about that show, even as a kid, fascinated me with Bob Ross making pictures and things like that. And Well, we didn't come across Bob Ross, but we came across this other guy that was painting, and he started out as normal as a host would. Well, thank you for being here today, and welcome to my show. And my heart was not in the right place, because when he thanked me, I was muttering, you know, I would not be here if I didn't have to. And... Um, but I, I began to watch the show with the kids, and the kids got fascinated with it. And those shows just fascinate with me. As he began describing the brushes he was using and the types of paints he was going to use and, and a specific type of canvas he was going to use, he, he had this blank canvas, and it just looked white to me. But I always become amazed by those shows and shows like that that have this blank canvas that looks like nothing. But by the end of the show, you're like, Wow. How'd they do that? That is just so beautiful. I mean, not just painting shows, but like renovation shows, construction shows. I like driving around Springfield when I see new constructions where I think, man, I wonder what that's going to be and begin imagining. And as you begin seeing it go up and then you're either disappointed or you're excited for what it's going to end up becoming. But that's kind of where we are in view of eternity is in view of eternity, we're kind of like that blank canvas that God is beginning to form this picture that when it starts out, you can't really see what it's becoming or what it should be. It's kind of like that renovation project where you begin thinking there's no way that's going to happen. This is what God is doing in our life. It's what the Bible refers to as a transformation. God sanctifying us or setting us apart in this world to make us into this beautiful masterpiece, which the Bible refers to our ultimate glorification in Christ. But the thing is, many of us may view eternity as that place we're going to be when we die. When in reality, Scripture paints this image 
that God is in fact preparing us today for eternity and there's things that we can take in that preparation so we do not begin to lose heart. If you, begin, uh, if you have your scriptures with you or the Bible with you, make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verses 16 in chapter 4 through verse 10 of chapter 5. And one thing I want us to understand about eternity and our preparation for it is that eternity is meant to capture our heart and impact how we live today. It's not just I'm, when I die, I'm going to heaven, but eternity the, in, in heaven itself is meant to impact us right now and impact our heart. And Paul begins to draw this out in the passage, which we're going to walk through. So again, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament. We're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 16, and we're going to read through chapter 5, verse 10. And the word of the Lord says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed... By putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, and He who has given us the Spirit, and He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6 So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In dealing with... First and Second Corinthians, first to understand that it's written by a man named Paul. He was the Apostle Paul. He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, had this incredible encounter, incredible revelation, dramatically changed his life around from going to a Pharisee persecuting the church to a, a pure lover of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and proclaiming that in all the world. So Paul is writing this book to a group of believers who live in the area of Corinth. There are two letters that we have, but in the Bible, there's actually a third letter, which you can read about in 2 Corinthians, that Paul writes to this group of believers, but God did not put that letter in Scripture, which is good for me to know because it lets me know that not everything Paul wrote was, in fact, the Word of God. Because if it was the Word of God, it would be in here. But whatever was in that third letter that we don't have or that other letter, Paul is really ripping into the Corinthian believers. As a matter of fact, first and second Corinthians, if you read through it, it has, it's full of instruction. It's full of, of Paul rebuking the Corinthian believers and the actions that they're having in life. 
the actions that they're taking. Because what has happened in this church, which Paul has, has planted and began to build up, and which these people have accepted Jesus Christ through the gospel that Paul preached and presented to them, is the church began having false teachers inserting themselves into the body of believers. And as they began to insert themselves into the church, they began to call into question the Apostle Paul. And not just the Apostle Paul, but the, the message or the gospel to which Paul had preached to them, which they had accepted. And when they began questioning that, questioning Paul, questioning the gospel, it really began to impact the church as a whole. So the Christians there in Corinth were, under, were beginning to believe through the teaching of the false teacher that if I'm going to be a Christian... That must mean my life is going to be free of persecution, free of pain, and free of suffering. And so when I look at Paul and I see the life that he is living, which is full of pain, full of persecution, and full of suffering, Paul must not be a legitimate authority to which I'm to live my life with. And so Paul is writing to these believers in love, but also in rebuke, to let them know that these false teachers are leading them away. They're preaching a false gospel to them, and the church is adhering to it. And the same danger we are faced with today in, our own, in this own church is that when we accept a false gospel, it impacts our worship. It impacts our love for God, and it impacts our love for others. Because when we accept a false gospel, we're making God and Jesus Christ and the message and promises of God what we want them to be and not what God has already declared them to be. Paul writes to the Galatians, and they're doing the same thing. And Paul calls a curse upon them, and that word to be a cursed in Galatians means that they be devoted to destruction. If you read from the King James, it comes straight out and says, you be damned to hell. So when we're dealing with this, Paul is calling the Corinthian believers to turn back from, to the gospel from this false preaching or presentation of the gospel. And he does it here in chapter 4 by guiding their attention into eternity. To understand what they're going through in life, the suffering and the persecution, the pain, the sorrow, the agony, the worry, the stress... All of that is to point their hearts and their minds to eternity because that is what God is doing. He's preparing them for their, when they will be in eternal glory. Like the Corinthians, here's how we relate. We, like them, like Paul, are dual citizens. We are citizens of this world, but we're also citizens of the next new world. We're dual citizens of the earthly and the eternal. But the Bible says, by our confession of faith, and as the truth have made that confession this morning, by that confession of faith in Jesus Christ, we don't belong to this world anymore, but we in fact belong to the other. So our spirit, our soul inside of us is homesick. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, meaning strangers, aliens, people who do not belong here, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That word Gentiles speaks of unbelievers, people who have yet to accept Jesus Christ. So keep the way you live your life honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds or see the way you live your life and give glory to God in the day He visits us. Under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the promise we now live in 
is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins is to move us into a deeper attachment to heaven and and our heavenly home and a further detachment from our earthly home. This is what Christianity is. This is why it's a relationship. Because the more I know God, the more I understand God, the more I know what God is preparing for me, the more I understand that God is coming back for me as His child, I begin to see this world for what it is. It's fading away. This world will not last. But here's the battle we all have. The battle we all have is we become more consumed with the earthly than the eternal. We are more consumed with what we're going through, our pains, our sorrows, our, our, our agony, our stress, our persecution, our suffering. We are more consumed with that, and our heart that's more consumed with that, and our mind that's more focused on that than the eternal. For Paul, for these believers here in Corinth, what he does is he rebukes them, but then he points their eyes to eternity. Because he knows when we have our hearts and minds focused on eternity, when that's what we're preparing for, will make the greatest impact in this life today. C.S. Lewis wrote that if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. So here in 2 Corinthians, as we look through our text, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul begins, So we do not lose heart. The statement comes from the previous reading, if you want to read it later this afternoon on your own where Paul is speaking of the eternal and permanent glorification that we all will receive when Christ returns for us as His children, as heirs to the kingdom, to be with Him forever. And so our attachment and struggle in this world is battling our attachment with this world versus our attachment with the world to come and the glorification that that Christ is going to bring us. In verse 16, Paul says, We do not lose heart, even though... Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And right there in verse 16, we have this visual of the battle that we're all facing. This outer self that is wasting away, that is the battle of the results of sin. Is that our outer self, our bodies are slowly wasting away. But Paul says that where our inner self, where our soul is, where our spirit is, is being renewed day by day. This is the result of grace. So within us, we have this battle of sin and the results of sin, and we have this battle of grace and the results of grace, and we're in this constant battle of what we're going to give our allegiance to. Am I going to give my allegiance to that which is wasting away, or am I going to give my allegiance to that which is going to be forever? Paul says that when it comes to eternity, in verse 17, that even though we may face pain, even though we may face persecution and worry and stress and heartache, they will all pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That word weight in verse 17 means fullness. So what Paul is taking is these Corinthians are coming to understand, you know what, if I'm a Christian, I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to be persecuted. It's going to be everything's, you know, all good from here on out. It's, it's going to be beautiful flowers and rainbows and lollipops. Paul says, you know what, that's not the case. But when you are persecuted, you're going to understand the persecution that Christ went through. 
When you suffer, you're going to understand the suffering that Christ willingly took on for you. And when you accept that, you're going to suffer and be persecuted because you're now a child of God and the name of Christ dwells upon you. You will then understand the full power of the cross and you will then understand the full power of the resurrection because it has changed you and has changed where you belong. You're no longer of this world, but you're of the one to come. The promise of Scripture is we're always going to have struggles with pain and persecution. You're always going to have struggle with suffering and agony. But eternity, here Paul is trying to point to the Corinthians, is to give us an uncomparable perspective. That Yeah, I'm going to go through stuff. But I have this promise of God that God loved me so much that He came to save me from all the stuff I can go through. That, that saving doesn't mean I'm not going to still go through bad stuff and difficult things. That saving means that whatever I go through, it's not permanent. Paul uses the word transient, or the ESV uses the word transient. That means temporal. That whatever I'm going through, it is not permanent. It will not last into eternity. And so I do not lose heart. And I gain a new perspective that whatever I'm going through, that I can turn to the grace of God and it's the grace of God that saved me from my sin and it's the grace of God that will give me the power and strength to get through this situation. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that he was given a thorn in his flesh and he cried out for God to take it from him. So he has this suffering, he has this issue he's going through, this pain, this agony. We don't know exactly what the thorn is. But God's response is not to remove the thorn or the suffering. God's response is to speak His grace over Paul. The Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the battle we all face, no matter what age we are, is fixing our eyes on the wrong thing. It's not to say we're not going to be impacted by this world. It's not going to say things don't make us mad or aggravated or frustrated or worry or stress. It's not going to say that's not going to happen. But it's in the midst of those things, what are we fixing our eyes and our hearts on? Here in 2 Corinthians, we say it says we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. So the instruction is not that we're going to be without pain, but we're going to understand that the pain that this world causes us is because of the sin of this world. And so we're going to fix our eyes not on the sinful things of this world, but we're going to fix our eyes on the salvation given to this world. That's the battle. Am I going to be consumed by the sin or am I going to be consumed by the salvation? What's going to fuel my response to the situation I find myself in? Paul's reminder, again, is that these things are temporal. The suffering we go through reminds us that we live in a sinful, broken world. The suffering we go through in our, our life reminds us that we still have a sinful nature inside of us. And it's not to fix our eyes upon that, but to fix our eyes on what God has done to relieve us of that. So despite whatever we find ourselves in in persecution or suffering, God in the midst of that pain and suffering is preparing us for glory and calling us to turn our hearts and minds to that glory. There's not a person here immune to suffering. 
But Paul says in chapter 5, he says it twice, in verse 1 and verse 6, he says, despite what we go through, despite what we can see in this battle of, of looking to the unseen and not the seen, Paul says, for we know. We know. We are convicted of this. We know without a shadow of a doubt about this, what is going on. He is saying as believers, we know the reason for pain. We know the reason for suffering. We know the reason for these things. We, we have this understanding, this revelation through Scripture on why these things happen. And so to believe that they shouldn't happen is to not understand what we're going through in this sinful world. We know that if the tent that is our earthly body, verse 1, as our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with the hands, eternal in the heavens. That word for tent there in chapter 5, verse 1, is, could also be raised the word tabernacle. Now, Paul understood tents. If you go to Acts chapter 18, you see that Paul had a secular job and that he was a, trent, a tent maker. And what, what that means entirely, we're unsure. He did something with leather that eventually formed tents, but he understood the world of tents. He understood that you build them up and you take them down. He understood that people don't want to live in tents their entire life. They want to live in a home, in a structure. And so Paul is, is giving this illustration that this body that we can pinch, that we can feel, this body that has pain and agony at times, that gives us headaches, that gets sick, this body is a tent. It is built up, but one day it will be taken down. And one day we will receive an eternal Home, a building made by God for us. The word tent will take us back to Joshua and our series we're going through. For 40 years, Joshua and the Israelites under leadership of Moses have been following God's guidance, whether it was a, a pillar of fire uh, by, my, by night or a cloud by day. When God told the Israelite camp that it was time to move, the Israelite camp were to get all the camp together. They were to pack it up. They were to take the tabernacle down in a very specific manner. And very specific people were to carry certain parts of the tabernacle and then they would move to where God wanted them to be. And when God said, all right, this is the next place, they would reset camp and God gave them instructions. This is where this tribe is to live. This is where this tribe is to be. This is where the tabernacle is to be. And this is how you're going to form camp every single time for 40 years. Joshua and the Israelites were taking down camp and building up camp all with this idea and understanding that God is taking us to the promise where we will be in the land where God wants us and God will have this structure that it will be His house where we will worship Him and that will be the permanent place. This is what Paul is alluding to here. Is that in this life, it's, we're like the Israelites. We're going through this wandering where we're building up and we're taking down. We're building up and we're taking down because God is ultimately leading us to the ultimate promise of being in His presence forever. And so we have this tent, this tabernacle. And I think we understand it, this concept in different ways as God continues to remind me. Every year I'm getting a little bit older. This year... I'm going to celebrate a new promotion. I'm going to have a new number at the front of my numbering system. And, uh, but I'm reminded I'm getting older. You know, Jamie and I like to pretend to be active. And, well, we try to be active. She, looked, she gave me a look. So we, we, we don't pretend. We do it. Anyway, 
exercise, take care of the bodies we have, and try to eat right. And um, I, I didn't remind it, even though I, I, I try to do the right things for this, this tent that God has given me. I am, in fact, getting older. I didn't remind it of the truth of this passage, that I, my soul, my, my, my body is, is burdened. It's groaning. This last year, Ethan went out for cross country, and we were at one of his meets, and it's a beautiful meet. I was, it is up uh, near Palm de Terre, I believe, wasn't that where it was? And so uh, we had the, the course mapped out where he was going to run and where we could be at certain spots so we could encourage him and cheer him on, and then we could also make it back to the finish line. And if you're, if you're not familiar with cross country, it, it's basically here's a field, go run. And then as parents, you get to run too. And so you did, because you can't yell the whole course. And so we found different spots that we're going to be. And we're back, and and we're in the spot where we know they're going to come through one last time, and we have plenty of time to run back to the finish line to encourage Ethan and the other Stratford junior highs as they come across the line and yell for them. And so Ethan comes by, we're like, yeah, 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 woo, go, go, you know, push, push, you know, whatever you say. And uh, so we took off, and, and Jamie is videotaping at that moment as Ethan passed by. And we're like, all right, we got to go. And so we're running back, and I hear her talking on the phone like, this is what it means to be a cross-country parent because you got to be involved with the cross-country and you're running. And then in the midst of the video, I'm like, ah! <laughs> cramp, cramp! <laughs> and she starts laughing, which very, you know, I felt the sympathy and... I thought I had a leg cramp, and so I thought, oh, I'll just keep, I'll run it out, you know, you know, just walk it off. Um, well, finally, I did something to my calf muscle that it, it took me until just about a month ago, I finally got over it. And I'm thinking, I, I've been more active, not, not I've, better than pretending, but more active <laughs> in the last year and a half than I've been in several years, and yet I still did injuries. I'm still pulling muscles, and, it, and it's hurting, and it's aggravating, and it keeps me from doing the things I want to do. And this wasn't the first time this has happened. I remember going for a run one time, and I was just out jogging, enjoying the day, thinking I was so cool because I was out running while everyone else was doing whatever they're doing. And I check behind to make sure there's no traffic coming. as you already across the road. And as I check and I turn around, something in my back just ignites. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's weird. And so I keep running because my body's so warm that I don't only feel it. And it only took about 30 minutes after my run that I was completely locked up. I could do the robot dance like nobody else. I was, I was stuck. But here's what Paul, this is the image Paul has given us. I think something we all understand is this body we have is slowly falling apart. No matter how well we take care of it, every year we're reminded We're getting a little bit older. Getting a little bit older. We're getting a little bit closer to the end. I know that's a depressing thought, but this is what Paul is trying to put their their perspective on. Look, this world is going to pass away, and as much as you want to cling to this world, it's, it's not eternal. Your body is not eternal. But when we cling more to this world, it will keep us from having a passion for the next. And so Paul is directing the Corinthian believers to understand what we're going through and the struggles and the pains and the the sufferings 
so that we don't become so passionate about this world we lose sight of the next. That they would have such a passion for what God did for them through Jesus Christ and the gospel that he preached to them and they accepted that they would have such a passion and a realization that this world is fading and everyone is corrupted by the same thing we were corrupted with in sin. And unless that sin is remedied through Jesus Christ, they will die in that sin and be separated from God. And so these momentary pains, these momentary sufferings, these momentary troubles that we go through, for those who are still in their sin, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that will be their permanent Unless we do something, unless we're so passionate about the eternal that we're bringing people with us. So the next time you have a leg cramp, next time you pull a muscle, sprain an ankle, or I don't see Randy here today, or jump in a pool and break your leg, <laughs> that's a reminder. This isn't my home. I want to make sure that everybody that's in my life understands that too. I'm taking as many people with me to my eternal home. Verse 4 says that we would be further closed so that what is mortal will be swallowed by life. The phrase swallowed by life in verse 4 means to be completely found in Christ. So it's not that we desire death, but we don't fear it. We don't fear it. Because we know when this life is over, as beautiful as this life is, it pales in comparison to the full glory we will see when we're face to face with the Father who loves us. So we become less attached to this world and more attached to our next world, our, our permanent home. So we're so passionate about that. People hear that coming out of us and see it coming out of us. The song we sang right before the message start comes from 1 Corinthians where Paul's dealing with the same issue. And the question that leads to that is, is this understanding which we read here in 2 Corinthians. He says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the imperishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So our future home, and a reminder of our temporal home, gives us a convicted purpose. We have a purpose here. You know, 
If it was that we would just be saved and we go straight to heaven, then there'd be no reason for God to leave us here. But now he's given us this purpose. And now we know, just as the Corinthians know here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, now we know. We know that we struggle with sin. We know that there's evidence of sin when we go through these pains and sufferings and these, these tweaking of muscles and these achings of backs. And we know we know this body is not permanent, and we know this. And since we know this, we have a, a convicted purpose that we tell the remedy to the sin that we have in our life that we have accepted. We tell that to other people so that they can accept it, and they can put on the immortal. They can be given eternal life. Because they... Without Jesus Christ, an unbeliever without Jesus Christ has to go through those situations completely alone. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. Because we've been given the hope and the promise of God no matter what happens. There's a lot better to come. We have this purpose. So some questions we got to ask when we think about eternity is, okay, how do I please God in this situation? How is God receiving glory in this situation? How do I please God at my work? How do I please God at school? How do I please God in, in my extracurricular activities? How do I please God with my marriage, my relationship, with my money, with my kids? How is the eternal glory of God that lives in me being manifested in this situation so that eternity is seen and not the earthly? How do I do that? Am I doing that? Paul writes in verse 10 of chapter 5 that we will all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And Paul's understanding by the Spirit that guided him to write this letter is that the preparation for eternity is to impact our present actions. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love, in our love for you, see to excel in this act of grace also. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, is by understanding that this world is only temporal and we're not to be attached to it, that we therefore can become generous givers as God is a generous giver. See, eternity isn't something that we say, well, I'm saved, so I'm going to heaven when I die. Eternity is meant to impact us right now today and all the things we do after this moment when we leave this place that we are eternal children of God, representing the kingdom of God, His ambassadors, Him appealing through us. And so other people should be able to see eternity coming out of us. And yes, you will face persecution because of it. Yes, people will make fun of you for standing up for Jesus Christ. Yes, people will doubt your, 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 your mental state at times. 
Yes, people will make fun of you when you post it on Facebook. Yes, people will ridicule you. But here's the thing. We don't care. Because this world will be done with someday, and I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to have to give a, 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 an account of my life to Him. I'm not accountable to man anymore. I'm accountable to the one who created me, saved me, and is calling me home eventually with Him. So I don't care what people say. Because I'm more attached to the eternal than the earth. I may lose friends. I may lose family members. But I'm going to make sure people understand what is actually my home. So this morning, our struggle is not with the promise of God. But our struggle is with the prom- in the promise of God is living in the eternal promise of God, always in mind. Our struggle isn't with the promises of God. They don't change. They're never fading. Our struggle is living in those promises. Living for eternity. My prayer is that is what people see of Harvest Hill. Is that we don't become a church so consumed with what we've got to do in this moment or it's about Harvest Hill or we don't be so consumed about buildings or seating arrangements or we can't say carpet because we don't have it. But we are a church that is so consumed with people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's it. We don't get consumed about music or music styles or dating of certain music songs. All we're worried about is, are people coming to Christ? That's living with eternity in mind. And that's what God wants to do with you and through you as his child. You may be here this morning, and here's reality. You, like every person in this room, is going to stand before the Father one day to give an account of your life. And you may be here this morning, and if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, as we've seen through the Treat family and their confession of faith through baptism, the reality is what, Bible, what the Bible presents as the truth is that we all sin. We all fall short of God's glory, His perfection. We all wrestle with that sin. We continue to battle with that sin. But the danger we all have is we all try to take care of it ourselves. Just be good enough. I'll just go to church enough. I'll just say the right things. I'll just dress the right way. And the Bible says that when we try to do that, what we're saying to God is that His Son was not enough. Yes, He may have died for me. He may have rose again, but that's not enough. And so you may be in a place this morning, here's what you need to understand, is you are a sinner. Anybody ever have a headache before? Nobody's had a headache? Man, you are a sinner. broken something, got a cramp, that's the evidence of the truth of what Scripture is presenting is you have sin. And unless that sin is forgiven by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you will die in your sin. And when you stand before God on the judgment seat, He will look at you and say, away from me, I never knew you. 
But in this moment, right here, right now, God is extending an invitation to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, to be completely forgiven from all your sins, past, present, and future. So when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you stand with all the other children of God, and God looks at you in the, in the righteousness of His Son and says, Welcome home. Do you have that assurance today? Do you know for sure that I am saved and I belong to the eternal? If you're not sure, I'm going to be standing down here and ask Jackson to come up and lead us. And you just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to, I want to be saved. I want, I, want, I want to belong to heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already made that decision, but you've allowed a false gospel to kind of corrupt your mindset. And I think we do this as believers all the time because we've, we get scared about sharing our faith. What are they going to say? What if I say something stupid? What if, what if they ask me something I don't know? And so we allow fear to guide us instead of the eternal. Maybe you're here and you realize that you haven't been relying upon the promises of God to guide and lead you to change your perspective. You've been allowing this world to direct your reactions and your actions and your outlooks. And God is reminding you in this moment, you know what? I'm, I've been living more for earth than for the eternal. And I need to come before the Father and repent. We serve a wonderful God. He calls us to this moment to accept his gift of grace and mercy. To say we're sorry. And he forgives us like that. I don't know where you are this morning. But God is calling us all to respond in one way or another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I thank you for the times that just aggravate me when I don't feel good or something hurts that you've already put that in Scripture, what that reminder is for. No, I think we all need reminders that we can become more attached to this world, more consumed by things in this world than we can for the things to come. So forgive us of that. But forgive us if we haven't shared the gospel because we're more concerned about how people may respond about it because we're more concerned about this world than the things to come. Father, I pray that your hand would remain on Harvest Hill. Lord, I know it's so easy. It's happened in, in the first century believers. It's so easy for us as a church to get distracted, sidetracked, focused on things that aren't truth. But Lord, I pray that your hand of protection, you place a wall around this church, around your bride. we would only be found in you. And we would only preach you no matter what the society says about it. We would stand for your truth no matter what laws are passed that go against it. Father, forgive us if we failed you in any way in this time. Forgive me if I've done anything that you didn't want to have done. I pray by your mercy and grace you've given me that you just take that from our minds this morning, Lord, and just let your truth and your spirit be what speaks to us.
Lord, in this moment for the individuals here that don't know you, your Lord and Savior. For that battle that's going on, that battle of sin and that battle of grace that's going on in this moment. I pray your spirit would give them such a conviction they can't stay where they are. That they would come forward and make this, this confession of faith that we've got to start this service out with. But I pray that your will would be done, your kingdom would come in our lives in this church so that you alone would be glorified and people know where Harvest Hill's true allegiance is to. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.